the number one key to all of our success and summary of all this is just versatility. So don't ever uh, yeah. be too proud to to do whatever's going to make you the most successful in each situation, whether it's road hunting, whether it's blind hunting, whether it's calling, whether it's bow hunting, rifle hunting, whatever, you know, be adaptable and be able to be versatile. What's up, ladies and gents? Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Rich. And if you're new here, this podcast feed is a place for all of the elk hunting interviews that I've done over the last six or seven years. Some are Wapiti Wednesdays, some are from my original podcast. But I wanted to compile the largest collection of elk hunting knowledge and interviews ever put together, which is pretty cool. And I would love your guys' help getting it out there to the world. So if you could do me a huge favor, uh, this is a new feed. So go leave it a five-star review and maybe tell a friend about it. But thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you guys enjoy this elk hunting podcast. All righty guys, welcome to the podcast. How are we doing? We're doing good, Cody. How are you? Doing real good. So we're going to struggle through this because uh, we got a three-way call going on. So I'm going to be like talking over each other and whatnot. So I apologize to the audience, but uh, it's going to be good content. I got Ben and Kyle. Once you guys introduce yourself, Ben, go ahead, start it out. Uh, introduce yourself a little bit about yourself and um, I don't know how, why you like elk. <laughs> <laughs> Are we doing Wapiti Wednesday? Is that the final decision here? Yeah, probably. I figured you guys, what, I mean, you guys what? could talk about anything, but I don't know. Yeah, I like whatever. talking elk. <laughs> Yeah, we'll do it, man. Um, yeah, Ben Gorman, uh, 35 years old. I'm here in Casper, Wyoming, calling you, and born and raised here in, in the Square State. Um, <laughs> grew up here hunting and fishing, uh, trapping with my old man, and, and just outdoors really became a lot more than a hobby. It just became an obsession and a way of life, and we've got a business through, through Shednecks that some people might be familiar with that kind of open the door into some other opportunities in the industry and and uh probably brought us into the social media spectrum but either way that's none of that's important we just like to hunt like to fish um like to take what we've got going on and and support conservation and everything else and got my good buddy and lifelong elk hunting partner kyle on here so cody i appreciate you uh bringing us onto this and talk about some elk and we'll probably tell some lies and some truths and <laughs> just something in between so yeah more lies than truth sometimes actually kyle and i met last year was that at uh western expo kyle yep sure was down in salt lake so go ahead and introduce yourself okay uh kyle Ostrands. uh i uh hail from the great state of north dakota actually frozen state that it is right now um not originally from north dakota grew up in nebraska um uh, moved from Nebraska out to Colorado, actually, to where I got a, got a taste of my first elk, uh, actually. And, um, anyway, been hunting, gosh, all of my life. Um, actually grew up gun hunting and didn't, didn't get into bow hunting until I actually moved out to Colorado and, and decided to expand my horizons a little bit and just got a taste of it and, and, uh, I I think if there's if there's one thing that I could uh, I guess stick with and and be content with for the rest of my life it'd be it'd be chasing chasing a bull with a bow and uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd be just just fine. 
Well, now that you killed MJ, like I feel like now you can just give up, hang up your bow, and be done, right? Yeah, right. Well, you know that's that's what one guy would think, but uh, you know that, that you know, two years ago when when I got a, put an arrow through him and knocked him down, uh, gosh, you know, two I don't know what was it, maybe two weeks after that, I suppose something like that. Ben and I were up in Montana, and you know <laughs> what we would call a I don't know small bull after 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 Ben and I put those two down. I don't even know. 320, 320, 330 bowl. After everybody had been saying, "Oh, you're 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 done for the rest of your life," I was thrilled to death when I put that <laughs> that other bowl <laughs> on the ground. And I was, yeah, it was that was a good yeah. year to say the least. You know, having that back to back. But yeah, it's yeah, it's it's something that just I don't know. I think once you get a taste of it, it's it is it is something that's hard to hard to want to give up. Well, this is a good question for both of you guys. I'm kind of curious, like. I think the evolution of a hunter, you always, you want to kill bigger and bigger and bigger animals. And I think that's just human nature. And I don't know, there's a lot of people like frown upon that. Honestly, like that's just who I am. Like I want to go seek harder adventures and harder and harder. Do you think that like getting to a, I don't know, you're not at a pinnacle, but like killing giant bulls, does it almost make it harder or does it take away from the fun or does it add to the fun? Like you kind of both kill some giants, uh, I guess, Ben, what's your opinion on that? I think it's, you know, kind of to each his own. Um, I respect the hell out of, out of anybody for killing anything and, and getting outdoors, honestly. But, you know, everybody has their own goals. Everybody has their own um, past experiences to work off of. And, and I think, you know, shit, Kyle's been there for, for a bunch of my hunts. And, and up until, you know, killing a really big bull for myself, I've, I've killed you know, a handful of elk with a bow, but, uh, you know, once you kind of get that taste of it, it's just part of the experience. And, and I guess you kind of leverage off of your past experiences to set new goals for yourself. So it's pretty easy for people to dog on trophy hunters or, or people that are going after bigger stuff. Um, but it's for me personally, it's just, I'm trying to set the bar for myself each year on year. Mm-hmm. And it's just what I, I personally enjoy. So I don't ever, I don't ever uh, feel comfortable taking, you know, taking the life of an animal if it's if it's not something that I fully enjoy that I'm going to fully be proud of. I would never knock anybody else for for what they're doing, but you know, setting that bar for yourself each year, I think it just leverages off of what you've done in the past. So, yeah, I guess uh, shoot, Kyle's been there for for a handful of hunts up until you know killing a really big bull in 2017, and I had just no off switch you know if it's if it was brown it's down with a bow (laughs) (laughs) and that comes from you know years and years of uh of elk hunting you know public land and some general units and and not ever having a good tag and you know just like you said the evolution of that but you know and i i would still go back on a general unit with a, a bow in hand and uh and be be very happy killing a good representative species but you know obviously what i was satisfied with you know 10 years ago versus versus now that's just our everybody's own personal goals so yeah no i i mean i totally agree and like it's always fun to take someone else with you that's willing to shoot anything because i love like just hunting elk putting elk down watching you know someone get just all jacked up about shooting elk and that's it's all good it's just funny how the evolution changes and it seems like it would be less work. Like if you talk about 
could I go kill an elk to fill the freezer? I wouldn't like, I don't want to sound arrogant, but it wouldn't take that long. It wouldn't be that hard. I wouldn't have to put much effort into it. Um, and it probably comes off as arrogant or something, but like, I don't know. To me, it's, you know, always about making it harder and harder each year and like having to work for it more each year. Yeah. And and it's, it's because you, you've been able to check those boxes off, right? You've been able to shoot a cow and you've been able to shoot a spike and then you've been able Mm -hmm. to shoot a raghorn and it's kind of the evolution of the chain of, of, well, if I've figured that out, you know, what can I do if I work harder and put in more time and put in more time scouting or hold out or, you know, let down on that small bowl or something. I don't know. It's, it's just, I think it's a, uh, just a matter more of how many years people have hunted more than anything and their past successes. Yeah, for sure. So how did you guys end up connecting? Uh, if you guys were kind of from different States and how did you guys end up become uh, hunting partners? It's a pretty good story. Oh. Really? Um, <laughs> you know, I would say that, uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of one of those things that you're, you're kind of naturally drawn to some people and, um, you know, I guess Ben chime in here, but you know, we both work the oil fields. Uh, I'm in North Dakota. Ben was working for a, uh, a company. Uh, actually I think he was out of Denver. Weren't you Ben? At, uh, at the time. Um, yeah, I was, I was rotating yeah. from, uh, <clears throat> living in, in the hellhole of Denver and, and rotating up to Williston, another hellhole at the time. <laughs> but yeah, that's when we met two weeks on, two weeks off working up in the oil field and patch. Yeah, and I was I was doing work for the company that Ben works for, and and I think I don't know maybe somebody had mentioned my name, but one time he was he was up in North Dakota on rotation and, and said, "Hey, I heard you like to hunt," and it was like <laughs> the the, uh, the red the red flags went up, and of course, next thing you know, we're pulling out phones and looking at pictures and telling stories, oh, yeah. and it's like, oh, oh hey, I better I better get your phone number. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, we, we kind of just pro- progressed from there. Not gay at all. Just uh, completely normal situation. No. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Almost had to turn the hose on us, but not quite. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was Nate, our other guy that we worked with that, that was like, Hey, if you ran into our, uh, you know, one of those hotshot drivers named Kyle, um, and we started throwing some work there and, and Kyle is an absolute uh, just tremendous salesman and a people person and, and just was really able to connect with a lot of folks in a really short amount of, of time. And, you know, everybody loved their business and they sent Kyle out to drum up some business for the company. And, and that's what he said. He said, man, there's one of those hotshot drivers that, that uh, really likes to hunt. I think he hunts down in Colorado. I know you were talking about doing some hunt down there. You guys should hook up, but yeah, just like you said, Kyle, we're like, Oh, you like to hunt? Yeah, me too. And then started showing some stuff and you're like, Oh, you really, really like to hunt. Oh, me too. <laughs> so was it, what was it like when you guys go on the first hunt together? I mean, is there always like that weird, like, okay, how do you do it? How do I do it? Blah, blah, blah. What, uh, what was that Colorado, Kyle? Yeah, probably would have been Colorado, I think. Yeah, probably, probably elk over, yeah, over on the Western side. Yeah. I think, uh, you run into a lot of people, especially in the industry that are always like, um, you know, yeah, if you ever, you ever find yourself, you know, down in Colorado or you ever want to come hunt together or something, then, then hit me up. And I, you know, people tell me that and then I get their phone number and I'm calling them in like a week, like, Hey, you know, let's plan this hunt. And you promise. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, 
shoot, you're really serious. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, I've got my year planned out, you know, eight months ahead of time. Let's, let's do this. And a lot of people don't really mean that. And I think Kyle, I think Kyle threw that ball over in my court and was like, yeah, if you want to come hunt down in Colorado sometime, you know, let's do it. And I think we started talking about it and, and he realized, you know, I was really serious and, uh, <laughs> was nice enough to, to let me tag along on that next year. So I think, yeah, I, I think immediately we, we realized that we both kind of have the same priorities towards it, take it the same uh, level of seriousness, I guess, and, and are willing to put in pretty much any amount of time, no matter what, to, to make it happen. And so it was a pretty good fit. So what would you guys say is like a key component of having a good hunting partner for elk hunting? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, Kyle, thoughts? <laughs> you know to be honest with you everybody everybody's got a different style um and i think that you know everybody finds something that works for them you know and and not to say that there's not more than one way to 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 you know to get the job done you know i mean there's a lot of unconventional things there's a lot of you know very traditional things you know that, that everybody seems to do i think um i think when when ben and i started bow hunting elk together um i don't i don't know how many uh bulls uh you know ben had killed you know up to that point um you know i had had killed a handful and i think we kind of kind of structured the first one of kind of like all right let's 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 put ben in the shooting slot first and you know let's you know and so you kind of kind of gear things that way you kind of have to you know in a way you know, either, either designate someone, you know, or whatever, or, you know, of course, if opportunity presents itself, but I think that's the, the biggest thing is, you know, if you're, you're, you're kind of competing with each other on who's going to shoot, who's going to shoot, you know, versus, you know, being just as supportive for, you know, helping that other guy, you know, get the moment of opportunity, you know, right there in front of him and, you know, kind of a, a selfless way. If, if you've got, you know, somebody that's like, you know, really like, Hey, I, I want to make it happen. Well, yeah. that, that's fine as long as the other person agrees with it, you know, yeah. but if not, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be <laughs> tripping over each other, or telling each other what you need to do or, or, or anything like that. And, and I think the one thing that helped when we went to Colorado is, is I, I'd hunted that same area, you know, I don't know, several, several years. In fact, it was the same area that I had guided, you know, you know, a few years, you know, prior to, you know, just, just hunting it. And so I was, I was a lot more familiar with it and that probably helped that, you know, it's not just like both looking at a map and saying, Hey, let's go here. No, let's go over here. You know, it was kind of like, Hey, let's, this is, this is spot we need to go to. So it, it kind of helped that maybe one, one person was kind of maybe, maybe the lead on, you know, navigation, uh, in a way and, and also kind of had a designated shooter, but, you know, to each their own, what, what works, you know, um, I, I know. Ben and I've kind of found something that works really good for us, you know, not to say that, you know, that wouldn't work for the next person that, you know, that, that comes along with a similar situation. But, you know, I, I think an understanding of, Hey, there's, there's more than one way to get the job done and being a little bit open-minded to it, you know, cause there's a lot of times that Ben and I have, you know, kind of agreed, okay, this, this is a game plan. Let's, 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 let's make a, make a, a plan of attack like this. And then you, you think, sit back and think and be like, Hey, you know what? I, I think maybe we should swing around this other way. I think, you know, the wind's going to be better if we do this. And, you know, I think 
as long as you're after the, the, you know, ultimately just trying to make the kill happen, you know, and uh, I think it helps a lot that both Ben and I, that we're just both really passionate about it. You know, I think that uh, being able to find someone that's as serious and willing to go, you know, the extra mile or 10, you know, <laughs> that, that makes a huge difference because there's a lot of times I've had people that I've offered to, Hey, come, come, come with me, come hunting. And, you know, a day or two into it, they're like, ah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of all right. Just sitting this one out today, you know, and say, yeah. say we weren't a good fit. So I think intensity level is one of the key things about having a good hunting partner. And I, I don't know if it's just going into it and being honest with it, or if it's just a matter of finding the right person. But like, that's kind of been a biggest problem I've had is like most people don't want to operate at the same level or don't want to operate at the same intensity. And it's never like a tactics thing. Cause like, if you want to, you know, Hey, you want to put sneak on this way or that way, go for it. Like it's your bowl. Like try it out. But it's day five and you know, people want to sleep in or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, I guess I'm going to keep going, which is fine. I have nothing against it, but then it's, there's, you know, a lot of times it's, it's hard to find someone that just is at that same intensity level, which I think is, is almost, to me more important than tactic level, like, or operations level or anything like that. And I guess it depends on what your style is. You know, some guys are calling, like, and, and a team works awesome. They're really efficient as two callers, where if you're a spot and stock guy, having two people doesn't really benefit a whole lot other than camaraderie. No, right. I don't know. What's your thought, Ben? That's probably the the best one-word explanation I've heard heard for it cody is intensity and and uh i think i think not only that but i gotta back up and and uh call kyle's bullshit for a second he's kind of covering my ass a little bit now telling me uh he's like oh i don't know how many bulls you've killed and i killed so i i truly believe this and i believe this day that i started hunting with kyle and and he's probably um one of the best if not the best um elk bow hunters that i've ever met and, and I mean, that's Kyle, that's your thing. I mean, that is, if you're going to focus one thing on, on one, on one part of the hunting industry, I mean, that's something that he has done really well. Guided elk hunters, his bow hunted his whole life. Kyle was talking about having a, being a starting out as a gun hunter and, and, uh, Kyle, do you even own a rifle? <laughs> like, I, I'm not um, sure I'd have to go look. <laughs> I know that when we've brought up rifle hunts before, Kyle's been like, man, I might have to borrow one, but you know, bow hunting elk <laughs> is, is Kyle's thing. And when we met bow hunting elk was, was something that, that I had come far from mastering. And I recognized, you know, Kyle is somebody who I could learn from had obviously had the experience doing it. had been, had been guiding and, you know, had a tremendous amount of success in the past. Um, bow hunting elk and and i think that's where we probably wouldn't worked out if, if we both had met thinking that we both knew our shit then that's when you you start arguing and and start thinking that your tactics better than the other person and but uh you know i i felt like i had had pretty much figured out i kind of i'd say that i came into it as like a as a mule deer hunter that was kind of my thing before kyle and i met and it still is well everything's my thing now but <laughs> um, coming into that with an open mind and wanting to learn from Kyle, I think worked really well because he could throw a lot of ideas out there, a lot of tactics, 
I realized after being on the struggle bus for years that I was clearly doing some stuff wrong. So when we started hunting together, Kyle taught me just a ton and it, it kept us from, from breaking down that camaraderie and stuff that you have in the field by arguing or thinking that your tactics better and thinking, and I, I'm sure everybody can relate to that. You hunt with somebody else and you think you're an expert on something and they think they're an expert on something. And then you just end up going your different directions because you completely disagree on what you're <laughs> you're trying to do and i personally i think there's a lot of people that really push themselves to try to hunt with somebody else and it ends up decreasing the chances of success of both people because you're not even though you're there for the common goal you end up spending the entire time trying to accommodate each other and not argue and make it an enjoyable trip rather than actually punching some tags and you end up shortchanging you know instead of going the best decision would have been for both of you to, you know, hike the long way around this ridge or, or, or take the, the high road around this to, to get in the best position. But because you both were arguing and you couldn't agree, then you end up taking a different route just so you can both get along and then nobody is successful. Yeah. And that's like, I think a bunch of people probably struggle with that. So it's really, really hard trying to find a hunting partner that you can agree with. And I think that's kind of what Kyle and I worked is I was, showed up on the elk hunting scene willing to learn and 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 kyle had a a lot of really really good stuff and i think we just i developed my own style by learning from him so it's it's now kind of one and the same hey guys real quick interruption to tell you a little secret that i picked up and if you want to be a good elk hunter there's one thing that i've noticed that every great hunter i've ever interviewed does that almost every new elk hunter does not do. And it's having a system. And in my own quest to become a better hunter, I set out to learn from all of the best hunters out there. And the one thing they all have is a system that took them years to develop. If you want the blueprint that I've developed after hundreds of interviews, go check out the new Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for being a more successful hunter. This is the fast track that took most of these guys 10 plus years to develop and even myself. So go check it out. Elk hunt 201 the links in the show notes. I hope you guys enjoy it so far. People have loved it from new hunters to vets. I've had so many messages and seems to be a, a big hit. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Hope it adds value to your elk hunting career. That's pretty interesting. Kyle, when did you, you said you got into archery hunting when you moved to Colorado. How old were you when you started archery hunting for elk? Oh, goodness. I've been just, just out of college. So I suppose probably, uh, 20, what, probably 22 ish, some, somewhere in there, I suppose. Did you have like any mentor or any, uh, someone to kind of show you the ropes that you learned from? You know, um, as far as like the, the bow hunting part of it, not really. You know, I, I remember, uh, I still remember I was sitting on the couch watching, you know, all the hunting shows and, and growing up gun hunting, you know, that was kind of your style. There was, that was, you know, archery is really starting to get popular on, on the, the hunting shows. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta do this. So I hopped in the truck and ran down to the archery shop and I was like, I need, I need to, I need to pick one of these out. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, picked up a bow and I'm like, gosh, you know, I, I need to, I need to do this. And I, I still remember my very first thing that I killed. It was, it was a white tail. I, I killed a white tail at one yard and, uh, um, 
And anyway, I, I'll never forget the sound. <laughs> One of that very first time an arrow went through and it like just gave me chills. I was like, oh my gosh, I think I found something that I've been missing for a long time. <laughs> and, um, you know, and so I, I guess learning the ropes, um, bow hunting, not maybe not quite so much. So I had, I had a good friend, uh, his name's Charlie, uh, lived in Colorado. We, we crossed paths and got to be good friends. Um, Charlie was old enough to, to probably be my dad, I suppose. Um, I'm not sure how old he is, but he, um, he knew elk hunting inside out, upside down. And, you know, I, I just did everything I could to hitch my wagon, you know, to, you know, to him and, and learning everything that I could. But, you know, and, and to be honest with you, we never actually hunted elk together. I don't, I don't think, I don't think we ever actually stomped around out in the woods together. But uh, just, you know, I would go out and trial and error and um, I'd be like, oh, shoot, you know, this, this worked, this didn't work. And, um, you know, he used to be a pilot and I, I'll never forget the day that he taught me about thermals and, you know, mountain thermals that, you know, to a, to a flatlander that, that grew up in Nebraska, I, it was, that was foreign language. It was Chinese to me, you know, but him being a pilot, you know, he, he would explain it to me. And you want to talk about a game changer, you know, that was, that was mm-hmm. something that, you know, I would say that alone, you know, the, the knowledge and, and understanding of how thermals work, you know, with, with sunshine and shade and, and, um, you know, north and south slopes and everything that, that, uh, I would say single-handedly has helped me kill several, several bulls, you know, just, just, just knowing that. And, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things that, you know, play into it. You know, I, I would, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not one that I'm just real big on calling. Um, I like to, no. uh, you know, maybe throw out a call if, you know, just to, to spark things up, you know, to kind of get an idea on location. But, you know, I've, I've learned more on understanding, I don't know if you want to call it the biological behavior, but just understanding what, what elk do and why they do it and when they do it. And, you know, and you know, that part alone, kind of like thermals have helped me kill several bulls. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious about that. Cause I mean, like me growing up, not knowing anything but calling. I'm really curious in a lot of other people's techniques and, you know, what works for them. I'm also very curious in anybody who kills giant bulls and their techniques. So there's that little factor. But I want to go back to, like, the wind thing. Uh, if I, I don't know if you remember how he explained it to you or maybe you could just kind of share how you explain it to other people. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like, you know, what's your secret to the wind or understanding the wind or under, I guess, understanding thermals, uh, or how that your mentor explained it to you. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, try and, you know, without stretching this into a, a, a real long explanation, the, the, the biggest thing is, is you've got, um, you know, you've, you've got surface wind, but if you've got a heavy timber area or, um, areas where, you know, that, there really isn't a whole lot of surface surface wind to it. There's still air moving. Um, hot air, cold air is really what it comes down to, you know? And so a lot of times, you know, you, you hear people talking about how, you know, they, they hunt in the morning versus in the evening and, and depending on the slope. So when the sun is, is hitting a hillside or I should say, let's start before the sun comes up, you're generally going to have air that's, that's moving from high to low, you know, and, and it doesn't matter. I mean, what what the shape is or the terrain is or whatever 
unless you have, you know, an outside, you know, surface air, you know, influence to it, it's going to be moving from high to low, you know, when, when that's, when that air is cold, cold or, or cool from the night, you know, and as soon as the sun starts coming up, that air starts to heat up. And once that air heats up, then it will, um, you know, it, it'll start to rise, you know, and, it, and it's going uphill. And so you'll, you'll have a, a, a shadow line, you know, across the hillside, you know, the hillside that, you know, is no real change in contour, you know, that you'll have essentially kind of a line in the middle of that hill that part of that air is moving up and part of that air is moving down. And there's, um, you know, there, there was one time uh, in Colorado that I, I distinctly remember because I'm, I made my approach at this bull. Uh, I don't even know. I would guess at least at least a half a dozen different times. You know, it was because I got on him first thing early in the morning, and every time that I would make my approach, the the sun would come over a, another a ridge, or it, it would it hit down into a valley, and all of a sudden it would change, and I I'd have to completely back out of there, knowing that you know that that air is gonna it's gonna change because the sun's hitting me now. And I would, I would swing around and, and I would come make a whole different approach. And ultimately it, enough morning had passed by that I initially was trying to move up the hill towards this bull, you know, to kill him. And by the time I got to the, uh, you know, if you want to call it the final moments before I put an arrow through him, I had completely got around 180 degrees, you know, completely above him because the sun was hitting that hillside and I was making my way down to him. With with those thermals, that hot air, that warming air coming up into my face. Yeah, I think uh, to a lot of flatlanders, I get, a lot of people in general, I, I feel like it's still this voodoo thing that doesn't make sense, <laughs> and most people just like you know can't even wrap their head around why it's doing what at what time or why, um, or when it starts to swirl in those areas of swirl, and you know it was explained to me once that if you look at it as fluid air within the mountain is fluid and so you can look at topography and understand why there's back eddies and swirls and things like that and you know all i mean man i think the the more you can keep track of it too the better you know i think when i was younger i remember you know you hit your wind check and you're like oh the wind's going this way and you automatically make a decision but if you're checking the wind throughout the day every 15 minutes you're keeping a database and it's it's like any scientific experiment. The more data you have, the more accurately you can assess that. So if I only walk up to the hill, hit my wind checker once and it's going from east to west and, you know, 10 minutes later, now it's going west to east. Well, it could have been doing west to east all day. I just happened to check on a certain time. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it was explained to me. And I, it's always good to talk about it because I feel like to, to so many people, it's just this black magic yeah yeah i think it's, it's uh, a hard one to wrap your mind around yeah for sure ben you're saying something oh just the just the simple thing and i still you know have to this day have to remind myself kind of what everything's doing um as a as an engineer i think i got a c in thermodynamics so <laughs> <laughs> i think uh all this stuff uh that's what a hundred percent what I learned. I think everybody grew up, you know, watching in our generation, watching, um, you know, the Primos hunting videos and thinking, all right, well, I have a bow. All I got to do is do exactly what these guys are talking about on TV. And I'm going to go blow some calls and, you know, whatever, they're going to be down in the Gila in New Mexico. And we're going <laughs> to just be doing this awesome 
awesome elk hunting experience and everybody watches those videos and decides, well, sh- well shit, that doesn't look too hard. And they don't really go into the, the really confusing science behind that. And, and that's probably the biggest thing I learned just hunting with Kyle and stuff. And that we've both been able to, to really figure out is just 100% elk are just scent driven everything that they do. That is the number one killer to any situation you put in, but you know, not only understanding what that air is doing, but just once you understand what it's doing, being able to plan at what time it's going going to change. And I think most people, you know, if they don't understand that, they don't uh, start to think about it and you start getting into the routine of, okay, you know, it's, it's eight 30 in the morning. Um, I'm going to go put a stock on this bull and not seeing the sun coming down the hillside. And, you know, you have air moving, you know, down the hill still, cause you're, you're in the shade in the morning. And then by the time you actually get in position and, and you've done everything right, except for plan on, on the change and understanding that at, you know, nine, nine fifteen that, that sun's going to hit that hillside and all that air is going to swap on you. But just the hot air rises, cool air falls. That's the only th- thing I just constantly remind myself and tell myself, just keep thinking about that and and not only what is your wind checker doing but what is it going to be doing in 45 minutes when you get into position yeah but scent control scent control is is absolutely key and like kyle said and i think uh in my personal opinion especially on like public land general tag hunts and hunts with a lot of pressure and stuff like from the 15 years that that i've been doing this i truly believe that these elk have just evolved and it's just like any other species, just, you know, if they take enough pressure from something, they're going to, you know, move over onto the other side of the mountain. They're going to stop. Um, they're going to stop using that, that piece of public land. They're going to, there's just too much hassle for them. They keep running into, you know, these things sitting in the bushes, flinging arrows at them. And they're <laughs> like, screw this. And it's the same with calling, you know, they have, they have figured it out. And they, they have, uh, what was successful for me back in, in uh you know high school and early college years and stuff is is not even close to successful anymore in the same areas too and it's just you know the the calls have been effective for trying to locate elk but more times than not i think it just gives away your position it's like battleship (laughs) you're always you're trying to uh trying to figure out they're trying to figure out where you are and you're trying to figure out where they they are and, and giving away your position is is got to be the worst possible thing so if you can put your calls away use them just to locate a bugling bull and then just play nothing but the freaking wind and and really learn that and and don't put yourself into a situation um with elk until you fully understand that and talk to your hunting partner and do some research or it does take a, a little bit of of repetitiveness in the hills to actually get that drilled into your brain but man everything is sent 100 percent Oh man, I got so many questions. Well, first off, while we're still on scent, do you guys, what's your guys' thought on like scent elimination uh, and sprays and that kind of stuff? I will, uh, then you go ahead and over to Kyle. Same thing. You know, we all grew up watching TV on, uh, you know, what is, what works for Primos, what works for these guys that are trying to market these hunting sprays, what works for all this. And, you know, I was first starting to bow hunt elk and be like, well, you know, that spray that I worked didn't, didn't, uh, didn't do her the shit because the elk winded me. So I better swap brands. Yeah. And you're, you're thinking to yourself that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to put on clean clothes. I'm going to make sure that I do that when I'm going up the hill. 
and uh, I'm going to use my my scent spray that I saw on TV to really work and and all of that is is just total BS. I couldn't uh, from what I've I've learned, especially hunting with Kyle, that was probably the game changer. Is is keeping your sweat down, keeping um, and and having clean clothes and all that, and, and I'll let Kyle kind of touch on like his his method to doing that, which is now my method to doing that, and, and not a lot of people think about that and paying attention to what you're wearing, you know, going up the hill and, and keeping clean clothes and stuff with you. That's, that's something that nobody else that I ever hung with really did. And that's, that's made a huge game changer for us. So no more sprays, um, Marino wool, obviously, and I'll let Kyle elaborate. But Yeah, Kyle, I'm kind of curious, like what's your kind of system for scent control? Sure. Um, uh, you know, as far as like clothes go, um, you know, I'll typically start a, a hunt with, with, clean clothes that haven't had, you know, as little of outside influence, you know, as possible, you know, I try and wash everything, throw it in plastic bags before I, I take off. But to be honest with you, you know, it, if you've elk hunted very much, you know, all you have to know is that about one mile into that hike and every, everything that you've, you've been due diligent about, you know, uh, really worrying about, you know, your scent, you know, you're, you're a sweaty, smelly mess, you know, by the, by the time you get up to it. And so, uh, you know, to where you want to hunt typically. And so, uh, my method, and if you want to call it uh, that I've tried to do is, is, you know, whatever your, your, you know, your innermost base layers, I usually carry an extra set or two and, and some big, like two gallon Ziploc bags, you know? And so if you, you know, are, are really pulling, you know, a, a big hill, um, or, uh, you know, I guess, a, a, an extra long walk, you know, where, where you're getting into all even, you know, I mean, there's, I think there's been times that Ben and I've hung, hunted together. We've, we've hiked in and even shorts and a, in a t-shirt, you know, just so that you don't, you know, you're not, you're not, you know, really getting everything, you know, soaked up with sweat, you know, and potential bacteria, you know, before you ever get started. Um, you know, just trying to, to do what you can you know, without, you know, having to, to be super artificial, you know, yeah. as far as sprays, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't use, in fact, you know, I'm not going to say that, you know, I say that they're, you know, completely, you know, ineffective, you know, I, I just don't know, but I, I know that if, if I've got something that's extremely, you know, scented underneath that, you know, it, it's only going to, it's only going to do so much. So trying to control, you know, what what you can you know and i usually come back to camp you know with a a really soaked you know like inner base layer you know shirt or two um uh and, and hang them up and those are the ones that I, I i bring the most of you know that i can i can change out you know and and try and you know keep them under control uh just because they you know it, the more saturated the sweat the more likely for it to you know to ultimately have bacteria that that's going to create the you know, create the smell. So just, just trying to do that. You know, when I, um, uh, it, when you're hunting on foot, you know, there's only so much you can do, especially if you got a pack on, you know, you're gonna, you're, you're creating a, you know, a spot that, you know, your, your back is, is naturally, it's going to do what your, your body is, is programmed to do. And that's to try and cool itself. So you're going to sweat, you know, there is, it's only a matter of like, just trying to, to manage, you know, what it is, you know, if, if you're going to hike something, you know, maybe don't, maybe don't give it, you know, 110%, you know, to, to, you know, 
really exert yourself, maybe just try and pace yourself. You know, that's, you know, one thing that, you know, I would say that it's a case by case scenario. Um, when I, when I was down in, in Utah, the, when I killed MJ, I actually, I had probably about a, about a mile, a little over a mile hike, just straight up a ridge, you know, coming off, you know, to get up to where I was going. And I actually, you know, I, over the course of almost three weeks, you know, I kind of essentially kind of got a game plan together where I would, I would hike that, you know, that whatever we'll call it mile, mile and a quarter stretch, whatever it was, you know, in, you know, gym shorts, shirt, you know, I, I knew I wasn't going to be hunting in, in that stretch, you know, right yeah. there. So that works. You know, if, if, if you're going to be hunting from the time you leave the truck, you know, obviously you probably don't want to be doing something like that, but I had a, I had a complete change of clothes. So I would, I, I would give myself enough time by the time I got up there. And so whether this was in the dark or the middle of the afternoon that give yourself, you know, 15, 20 minutes that you can, you can get your, yourself regulated. You stop sweating, you get cooled down and, and I'd have, you know, unscented baby wipes, you know, that I would completely do a, uh, uh, if you want to call it a sponge bath, you know, up there, you know, on the mountain and, and put on completely dry, clean clothes. Um, you know, because my clothes were soaked, you know, by the time I got up to that point, um, that doesn't, that doesn't work in every situation in in that situation where I was, I was still hunting, you know, once I got up to that point, I just had a, you know, a few hundred more yards to go. And then, you know, I was sitting still, so I knew I wasn't going to be sweating anymore. Um, so it's, it's a case by case scenario, but doing what you can to manage, you know, how, how sweaty you're going to, going to be, or, you know, if, if you are going to be, you know, to, to try and plan ahead, I, I have, (laughs) I get more stuff in my pack most of the time than I, you know, I, I sometimes regret, but you know, it's, you know, trying to plan ahead, you know, that you can, you know, make the most of what you've got. No, for sure. So for everyone that, I don't know if everyone knows the story, but, uh, MJ is the 400 inch bull that Kyle killed down in Utah in 2017, correct? Uh, yep, that's it. And uh, while well, you were down there for like three weeks trying to kill this bull and <laughs> basically decided it was him or nothing? Yeah, pretty much. 19 days, morning of day 19. Finally, <laughs> finally got a whack at him. Uh, so, I mean, I want to dive into, I want to dive into the not calling thing and the calling strategies. They were like already 45 minutes into this, but I want to, I want to get into that and like talking about choosing your terrains and whatnot. But I, if I remember right, did you guys use, uh, an Ozonics or something? Like when you, when that blind you had for MJ, what's your thought on those? Are those legit? Or is that just kind of like a safety measure when we mine as well? <laughs> you know, I was, I was skeptical. I, I had, <laughs> I had never seriously used one. You know, I've, I've got one, but I, I would say I've never really been too serious. You know, I've always thought, you know what, you gotta, you gotta have the wind right or it isn't going to matter. Yeah. Um, where we were hunting there, you know, we, it, it was kind of one of those things you, you kind of had to like where I, I, I first got my experience with it. It was, I had to hang a stand in a tree and we didn't have a whole lot of choices. It was kind of like, well, if you want to be in this area, this is the only tree that it's going to work. So I did it. And I, I, I would say that I, it, it proved to me that it can be effective because there was one night that it was, it was getting dark. Elk moved into a meadow. They eventually moved to right in underneath my stand. And I thought, oh, great. This is, this is going to be a disaster. I'm going to have a hurt. You know, I don't even know. There's probably, 
40, I bet 40 plus head of elk that moved in underneath me right at dark. And of course I was, I was pinned. I was stuck there. Ozonix was right on the, on the back of my neck, you know, pretty much. And I just sat there checking the wind, checking the wind. And, and those cows, uh, moved in just literally right down to me. Like I, I hit my wind checker and that dust was going right into their nostrils. I mean, it was just, <laughs> I mean, I, I could, I couldn't have seriously probably even had a, a worse, you know, spot, you know, that I thought I was going to blow these elk, you know, completely out of there. Spend the next, you know, week trying to, you know, wait for them to come back or whatever. And not one, not one nose raised to me whatsoever. They finally just ended up feeding, feeding on through the area. And, and I didn't have, I didn't have one elk win me. So that is, that is my one, if you want to call it verification that Test, I feel, testimonial. you know, that I don't, <laughs> yeah, that, you know, it, I, it was, uh, you know, I, I would say it, it did its job, you know, not to say that, you know, I, I hadn't done my due diligence on trying to, you know, manage, you know, my own scent, you know, along with that. But yeah, I would say that it worked, you know, when we, and then when we ended up moving and had it in the blind, um, luckily enough, the morning that I got a, a chance, you know, at MJ, I, I still had the wind in my face. So I, I didn't have to, you know, essentially just rely on that, um, solely, you know, that in order, in order to make things happen, it was early in the morning and I, I had, I had thermals coming, coming down right in, right into my face. But yeah, I would say that it definitely played a key factor because there was, there was, when I was in that blind, I ended up, you know, being to where my scent was, was drifting down to a, a bedding area. I had several times where I came into that bedding area and came right out in front of me and started feeding. So I, I can't help but think that it did play a key part and definitely on the scent uh cody's got a big enough big enough reach here you're gonna freaking have a bunch of people packing an ozonics machine back like 15 miles (laughs) dude i'm already thinking about how i'm gonna mount it to the top of my pack i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) maybe they make like make an addition to the equalizer we'll just add nozonics on there no big deal (laughs) there's gonna be hover that sucker right over your head (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah there's gonna there's gonna be a some guy with like a sheep strapped to his pack and that ozonics on the top of a stone glacier and he's gonna be like this was a game changer oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, nothing else i'm gonna I do it as a joke it. and see how many people i can get to like keep doing uh, that <laughs> please 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 photoshop in there that's in there you got it <laughs> just everywhere i go just like a shoulder shot of those onics on top of it uh so i want to get into like some calling op- or calling and not calling strategies i am like i said i i came from hunting roosevelt's on the oregon coast so i only know how to call uh and i'm kind of curious on this and i think i've talked to a number of people and i've learned from a number of people who are spot and stock but i think it's more out of the country they hunt necessarily than, or more necessarily than just a specific tactic. You know, a lot of times if you hunt open country, calling doesn't do very good because an elk can see so far and he can see there's nothing there. Uh, so a lot of people, they've just adapted that tactic. Uh, I guess my biggest question for you is without calling, are you pretty picky about the type of terrain you hunt? I'll, I'll, I guess, start off. So for me, you know, I would say, um, 
as far as the terrain where or you know where I hunt out, you know, I, I'll I'll go wherever the elk are at. You know, to be honest with you, you know, I, Colorado, some of the stuff I I for the longest time I didn't even carry binoculars. Real similar to what I hunted in in Utah. Um, you know that Ryan Carter talks about so much that you know he doesn't carry binoculars. I I had a rangefinder and that was plenty enough because you can't you can't see far enough yeah. to make a difference anyway. And so in in that environment, you know, I would say it's probably a little bit closer to what you were talking about, Cody. You know, talking rosies, you know, yeah. over in in Oregon, pro- probably not quite as thick, but um, you know, I would say I, I've used the same same tactics there as I have in the you know, the, the open plains type country of, of Montana. And, um, I kind of, kind of do it somewhat the same way. Um, you know, I, I don't know, um, you know, just want me to just kind of dive into it myself. I, um, uh, I guess I, I started off, you know, like Ben said, you, you know, you watch a few primos videos and you're like, Oh, okay. I, this is, this is what it takes to call an elk. You know, I go out there and squealing and screaming on, you know, on, on whatever calls, you know, we're on sale and, uh, you know, you get out there and next thing you know, all you're, all you're seeing is elk running, you know, in the opposite direction. And I was like, oh, I, I gotta, I gotta change this up. This isn't working. And I think that was, that was the moment that I realized, Hey, you know, I've got to, I've got to figure out a different, different approach to this. And my buddy, Charlie, you know, that I, that I learned a lot from, um, you know, I just, just trying to understand more of the, the biological part of it, you know, what they do and, and why and, and when, um, you know, and, and a lot of just trial and error, honestly, going out there and just, just trying to watch, you know, what they're doing and, and when they're doing it. Um, I, like Ben was, was talking earlier, kind of, it's kind of like a, a game of battleship. That's, that's the way I've, I, I guess, kind of, transformed evolved you know in my approach you know not to say that you know i don't i don't get a thrill out of watching everybody that that calls in elk that they come in just screaming in their face you know i mean that's that's you know that's some of the 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 highs of of elk and you know in general but um i think for me if you and it it wouldn't be near as effective you know if, if the elk aren't talking so i would say what i'm what i'm referring to isn't going to work very good on a rifle hunt you know it's it's only when when those when those bulls and and uh uh you know that where the rut is really cranked up you know i mean that, that plays a key key part in it you know if they're not talking it it's tough especially in in, in uh you know a really thick congested you know black timber you know type setting but you know you follow an elk herd around you know for very long you're going you're gonna to find out, you know, most of the time you're going to have a bull, you know, that's following the cows, you know, and you're going to know that he's in, in, in the back. And so you know, a lot of times, you know, you, uh, your instincts tell you, gosh, you know, uh, I hear a bull moving and whatever he's going east to west or they're going up this ridge or whatever you want to, you want to run around and get in front of them. Well, more than likely, you know, all those cows are going to, they're going to, you know, <laughs> they're going to be in the way of, of you trying to get your chance at that bull you know, a, a yep. lot of times. And so, you know, knowing that you, you're going to have to, you know, take more of a, you know, if they're, if they're on the move, you're going to have to take a flank approach, you know, where you're, you're coming at it from behind because, you know, that bull is going to be following his cows, you know, following them to bed or following them to, to, to lunch, you know, wherever they're going to eat. 
And, you know, there's, there, there's a lot of different aspects to it, but I think learning a lot of those tendencies and, you know, kind of their, maybe their reactions uh, a little bit to, to different scenarios is what, um, you know, I guess really where I've kind of found my niche in, you know, and, in, in, you know, execution when it comes down to making, making something happen. So what is the, it sounds like, I mean, your uh, essential strategy is kind of locate elk, whether that's your bugling or them bugling on their own, uh, understanding where they're going to and from and intercepting them. What is the hardest part about that strategy? And I think, I think, the, go ahead, Ben, if you want to. No, I'm just, just understanding like how long it's going to take you actually to get there, understanding what's going to go on with the, the, the wind between the time that you get there. And, and like Kyle said, understanding where they're headed, what time of day is it? What, what have you seen from the, the past few days of the hunt? Where are they actually headed? Are they, are they headed for cover? Are they headed for food? Are they headed for water? It's or back from either of those three. I mean, it's usually one of those three things, right? And it's so, just so Ben, if you if you heard a bugle, say you didn't have prior knowledge of this herd, and like I have totally been there, and I think once you get you know the a history with a herd of elk for four or five days, you kind of get their nuances, where they're going, where they're doing, what they're doing. Uh, but if you just heard a bugle across the canyon, and you're like, it's up there. Are you going to go after that bugle or are you just going to wait and try to figure out what the environment of this situation is? I'd go after it a hundred percent of the time. Okay. So I think, uh, it, are you just going to go right to that bugle? I'm just like, I'm so like confused because in me, it's like, okay, like I would have to like set up and make a call situation. But like, if you're just going to move in, are you just going to go where that bugle was and just keep moving closer until you hear something or. I think uh, that's probably one thing in, in our learning curve for, for elk that's made the biggest difference is, is what I've always done in the past from watching freaking videos and all that is I've heard a bugle and, and maybe I've heard two of them. I figured out kind of where they're going and I've completely undershot how far I thought they were going to move. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, here, here's, a, here's an elk up on the top of a ridge. Um, I'm going to listen to him for a second all right, I hear another bugle. It sounds like he's moved like a hundred yards. And then in your brain, you think, well, by the time I actually get down there and get into position, you know, I ought to be able to head them off. And if they're already moving somewhere, they're, they're going like the same thing. I said, it was cover, cover feet or water. One of those three things Either headed for bed, coming for bed. And, and just, I don't know. I've always taken whatever I can wrap around in my brain. If it looks like they're going to move around, you know, if they're going to cover 300 yards and in, in uh, you know, the next 15 minutes it's going to take me to get there, then like double or triple that, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm strategy. always looking behind them. So take the biggest giant C that you can possibly get to get around them, flank them. And, and you, you're, you're never going to be in a, a bad way by getting further ahead of elk than you needed to be. And so, I don't know. I think a lot of people, have a lot of hesitation. They hear, hear a bugle down in the canyon, you know, let's sit and listen to it for a while. You know, everybody just can't fight the, the temptation to, you know, let's blow a call and cause I yeah. want to hear the bugle again. And so you're going to, let's see where they're moving to. Let's see if I can get him to answer back and, and let's see if I can figure out whether he's going up the canyon or down the canyon. 
And so half the time, you know, you're going to blow that call and they're just going to bust out of there. They're going to say, screw that. Um, and so you've already ruined it. And I've just, you know, from, from Kyle and I's approach and everything just silent and deadly is just try to go after it as quick as possible. Nine times out of 10, they'll, whether you see an elk or, or they give you some sort of vocalization between the time that you get there and where you think you need to be. I think it's always better to gamble and, and cover ground and, and, and just shut up than you are trying to sit so, up on a hillside and blow and try to figure them out. Cause it's going to go usually in your opposite direction. So hypothetical situation here, it's uh five o'clock bull pipes off. He's up on a ridge in the timber and you're like, okay, well, let's just figure out where he's going. He pipes off. He's kind of coming towards you. You're like, okay, there's feed in the bottom. He's probably going to that feed. Are you going to try to get in front of him? I mean, obviously this is so wind dependent, but more times are you trying to, you said flank him. Are you trying to like come up from behind an elk or are you trying to get in front of where he's going? I, and, and we've had a couple different situations where we get in on both. I know that Kyle can chime in on getting behind them because there's some times that's worked, but, um, my personal opinion, the ambush, trying to get as far as you can ahead of them. But, uh, then you have the caveat of, of you're going to have a bunch of cows in between mm-hmm. you. So if you, if you don't know anything at all, my opinion is to get as far as you can away from them when permitting, just get on the right side of the wind from them is the biggest thing. So you're not going to get busted. You don't know whether he's got, you know, four cows or he's got, you know, 40 cows and you don't know if they're strung out over 300 yards, you know, through those trees or what. And in my opinion, if you think he's headed to feed, get down on the good side of wind from him, whether that's uphill or downhill or, or whatever, and try to wait for another, another signal. But I always err to the side of getting as far as you can away from him. And then once you or getting in front of them. And then once you get some sort of an idea where they're headed, um, you know, and I'll let Kyle on talk on that. He's, he's the expert of trying to point back around them and sneak back in on a elk moving away from you, which is not easy, but you do it right. You can do it. Or you, yeah, can, okay. you can be successful. Yeah. Kyle, go ahead. I'm, I'm super curious. Sure. Uh, so I would say, you know, like if you want to call it the, the flank approach, you know, that, that, that I was talking about earlier, it, it's more, I would say more effective, at least for myself in the, in the mornings, um, uh, you know, taking the situation where you said, you know, five o'clock, you know, if it's in the afternoon, you know, he's coming down, you know, it's, it's going to be you know, a lot of different factors there, you know, on, on what, what's maybe going to work, you know, what's the terrain, you know, how much cover you're going to have, you know, wind, you know, more than anything else. And a lot of times you just kind of got to improvise, but what I was talking in it and up until, I would say maybe even like three or four years ago, I don't think that I had ever killed an elk that wasn't like first thing, you know, a lot of times even before, before sunup in the morning, um, you know, that on doing, you know, I guess what I'm about to describe, but, you know, most of the time, you know, in the mornings, those elk are, are going from, from a lower feeding spot up to bed, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, that I would say nine times out of 10, you know, and that might be, you know, a half a mile or that might be four miles, you know, but in general, they're, they're going to be going uphill to go to bed. And if you're, if you're on them, you know, first thing in the morning and you're following, you, you've got the wind coming down in, in your face. It, it's a, it's a great approach, you know, and you better have your, you better have your, you know, track shoes on because, you know, they're going to, they're going to find out how, how good your lungs are, you know, depending on <laughs> what kind of, what kind of country you're in. But 
I would, you know, I can, I can think of at least three or four just off the top of my head where I have followed them to bed, you know, and, and more times than not, you know, if it's, if it's prime rut time, you know, you're not just going to have, you know, cows and, and one bull, you know, he's, especially if, if it's a herd bull that you're on, he's going to have some satellites with him and the, you know, that bigger bull is going to be, you know, he's going to be following his cows and more times than not those satellites, you know, they're, they're either, you know, kind of in, in the perimeter, you know, somewhere following them. And a lot of times they get to where they're, they're going to bed down for the day and that herd bull will come back and he'll kind of, kind of make a perimeter on where those, those satellites, you know, where, where it's going to be a comfortable point, you know, on, uh, you know, especially kind of, you know, they're, where, where they're going to be hunkered down for the day. This is, this is where you need to stay. And I don't really want you getting close to my cows, you know, kind of a deal. And there's, you know, been many, many times where, you know, I've, 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 I've basically walked them to bed and got within, you know, I would say 70, 80, maybe a hundred yards. And when that bull, that herd bull peels around and, and starts, uh, you know, basically kind of defending his, his ladies and, and kind of stake in the perimeter of where those guys need to stay back. I I've slipped between him and his cows, you know, and I've, I don't know how many times probably, I don't think it's probably been more than maybe a 15 yard shot on any of those, those instances, you know, where I, I know exactly where he's going back to. So it, it, it's an ambush, you know, that's kind of, if you want to call it strategized and it, it's worked really good, you know, as now is that going to, is that going to work, you know, every time, you know, that somebody that's listening to this, like, Oh, I, I call bull, you know, that, that you can do that. I, you know, I've, it's not just once that I've done it. it it's worked. It's worked good when it happens, you know, has there been times that I've blown out elk? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No. And that's, that's a interesting viewpoint on it. And I, as someone who's done a lot of calling, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make with trying to call in those situations is they're just pushing that elk. Like you say, you give away, it's a chess match or I guess a uh, battleship match where you're giving away your position. You know, if you're every, pretty much every day, those elk are going to do the same thing. They're going from whatever they're feeding. Maybe they went to water right at daylight and they're going back to their bed. And when you start bugling and chasing that bull, he's just going to keep pushing and keep pushing where he might've bedded down in a spot. Now he's, a, everything's on high alert because they're not going where they normally go and he's pushing them, he's pushing them because he doesn't want to bed, he doesn't want to stop and there's a bull coming up behind him. Uh, and so, you know, you see this a lot where it just starts creating pressure and then they start moving faster. Another scenario is basically an elk shuts up and you don't hear a peep. And it's like they, they have this magic ability to go from making so much noise, it sounds like a herd of elephants, to not a, not a peep. And it's magical. I don't know how they do it, but it's amazing. Uh, and so it makes a lot of sense to me why you would, in that situation, not say a word, just keep following. And a lot of this is why a lot of guys who call a lot don't call in the morning so they'll sleep in and hunt midday because they're just looking for where that elk is when he's in his bed you have a little more success if you're trying to call him if he's defending those cows in his bed. He's pretty, if you get close enough, he's kind of has to depending on, you know, if he's got an exit strategy or he's going to bail out of there. But, um, I'm a a firm believer of following them to bed as well. And if I was going to pick a fight, I would usually pick a fight right there, but I would not have said anything because he's never going to turn around and come fight me or very rarely. Anyway, you have a better chance of doing it when he's already in bed 
Now, you know, a couple hours later, he's rested up a little bit. Now he's going to come back and I have a better chance of fighting him. But, you know, definitely I could see how your strategy works as well. Yeah, and I would say it's it's a little bit maybe unorthodox, you know, and I would say, you know, if 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 you're someone that, you know, has a hard time, you know, catching your wind on the mountain, it, it's probably not something that's going to be <laughs> real effective. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's, I mean, that's just the truth of it. I mean, you want to you want to find out how tough you are. You you follow some elk. <laughs> yeah. on, on their terrain on their terms it'll 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 make a man out of you or a little boy out of you one <laughs> or the other ben how often does kyle end up running to chase elk uh a lot <laughs> I, think. I, I can think of uh kyle's been in better shape than my on on several of our earlier hunts and, and now i've kind of get my shit together but um <laughs> yeah covering covering an extreme amount of ground and, and like I said, whatever you, whether you're following him, trying to keep tabs on him or, or try to get in front of a herd of elk, like it's, it's an almost impossible task. I think the key thing that, that, I mean, Kyle called it walking a, a herd to bed, even if you're in front of them or whatever, like it, don't push a bad situation on that. I think people are so driven to try to make something happen in the morning, make something happen before dark. They try and try and try to, to keep up with them. They're blowing out cows right and left and everything. And, and, and like you said, I mean, we're covering a ton of ground to try to either keep up with them or stay in front of them. But I think, uh, the, the midday tactic on trying to put an, a bull to bed, especially one that's, that's vocal and that, that, uh, is going to let you know where he's at. I think people lose a lot of patience and they put one to bed and they say, screw it. Let's go back to camp. And meanwhile, that bull has been in there bugling, you know, once every hour and a half telling you exactly where he's bedded. And yeah. then you're just pissing a, a great opportunity, especially a herd bull. And, you know, all this kind of taken with a little bit of a grain of salt on depending on what bull you're, you're actually hunting to. You know, if you're in a, if you're in a situation looking for one of those satellite bulls and trying to kill a 280 bull, then kind of your tactics really change. But you're trying to go after a whole, a herd bull and then they have cows to deal with. That kind of, uh, changes the game so i mean knowing the elk that you're calling to knowing that both those cows and the herd bull are going to spool up and and go away from you and and uh trying not to push a bad situation you know if it's nine o'clock and you're not catching up to them and and you're right on the ass end of some cows i mean you're not going to do yourself any favors by just keep letting the elk know where you're at yeah you know, keep tabs on them but let them bed down and and most often, sometime throughout the day, even if you can sit sit out for three or four hours or whatever it takes, they're gonna figure out some way to let you know where they're at. Oh yeah, he'll he'll say it. And I, man, I've said this a lot of, a lot, but if you want to kill a satellite bull on any elk, start hunting herd bulls because them stupid satellites are in your way all the time. I mean, <laughs> like how yeah. many times you've been like hunting a herd and you're like now there's three satellites in my way, I can't go anywhere. Like all the time. Oh yeah. I don't know. To me, I think that's probably the best, best way. Uh, well, I was going to get into like, you know, without being a caller, what's your midday look like? I mean, what's your kind of standard? Say you follow a herd or don't follow a herd. Actually, more importantly, I, I guess if you follow a herd, it's pretty self-explanatory. You're waiting to get a shot. Maybe it'll stand up midday. Maybe it'll do something. Uh, if say you don't have a herd and nothing's talking, if are you trying to locate elk throughout the day or what's your guys's kind of go to midday? You know, it kind of varies on on wind. You know, inevitably, I'm gonna I'm gonna find a, find a, a a tree to curl up under for for a nap at some point, depending on <laughs> you know where 
where where we're at. But you know, if 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 it was you know, a dry morning, you know, no, nothing's talking. It's just one of those days that all, all of a sudden, you know, that, that canyon, you know, just just shuts up and and nothing nothing seems to be stirring whatsoever. Yeah, it's it's covering ground, you know, and and um, you know, I mean, it's it, uh, depending on where you're at, and you know, it, it, the 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 rut, you know, what what you know, you want to call it what maybe phase they're in or how hot things you know really are not not temperature but like just rut intensity you know what it is you know eating a wallow um is is really good especially early season you know and yeah. and, and that varies a lot you know state to state you know i'm 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 going to refer a lot to you know we've been at in western colorado that you know moisture wise you know, i mean you've always got good wallows you know for the most part and the you know that that's a great one or if if you know in general you know that you've got elk somewhat in that area you know get get the wind played played safe you know give a you know two three four hundred yard buffer and just just camp out you know waiting you know just like ben said you know for that for that one time you know that that bull decides to just you know it it's almost like i don't know i and could be could be wrong on this but it's almost like those bulls sit sit there long enough they get enough testosterone built up that like they just they have to just release you know at <laughs> oh, some yeah. point and it and it'll just be you know like out of nowhere it'll, it'll be a quiet morning all of a sudden you know eleven thirty you hear a bull just just rip off and, and and it might just be one bugle but you know that that's all you need and all of a sudden you're like all right that's where they're at you yeah. know and and maybe you you start start making your approach and it might yep. it might be the start of your approach for the evening hunt you know but at least you're getting getting then an idea, you know, but I'm, I'm not going to lie and say that I, you know, never pick up a bugle, you know, if, if it's a quiet morning or if it's uh, just a, you know, seems like a lull in the rut, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll rip off a few bugles just to see if you can get something to light up, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, get something to spark up, you know, I'll throw it back in the pack and, you know, off to the races we go, but, you know, <laughs> just, 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 just to, you know, to get something, you know, talking. I, I just think it really depends on the type of situation you're in and the type of hunting you're doing. Kyle and I do a lot of backpack hunting and it's a pretty easy, easy choice for us to, you know, you're already, you're already backpacking, you know, in Colorado, we were hunting at 12,000 plus feet. Um, and you know, if you're going to take a nap during the middle of the day, you know, might as well be in the elk and be in good position for the afternoon. I just think a lot of people miss out on a ton of opportunities by that temptation to go back to camp and get a nap, nap back in the camper, back in the tent, or or whatever. If you're backpack hunting, then and you you know there's no comforts of camp that that, that can really offer you. But like you said, I think uh, especially vocal elk, if they if you could just stick it out and hang out in there, I mean you don't have to to be hammering country all day long. And, and in fact, you're going to probably blow out more elk than you are. But yeah. I think uh, just hanging out, being in a good position, go find a nice high spot where you can hear. Uh, know that if you hang out down on the bottom shady knoll of something, you're probably not going to be able to hear what's going on throughout that whole valley or whatever, but hike back up to the top, find a place in the shade. I'm thinking of a time Kyle freaking left me out on the sunny hillside and I got like the worst sunburn in my life sleeping for like three hours. <laughs> that just came into my mind. Thanks a lot, Kyle. But like a 30 degree sunburn on my face. We camped out, out in the middle of um, like, 12,500 feet just 
listening for elk and three hours later i woke up just toasted but anyway that's a, that's another story for another time but <laughs> dude i i have lo- located a lot of elk just midday just because i was out and you know been sleeping and be like well, did i just hear something and then you know listen a little bit more and you know elk i didn't even know existed in the middle of the day and actually i think i stick to it because there's a, one of the i had this wayne carlton video when i was a kid and i watched it you know, pretty much every week. And it's the only video I had a hunting channel I had. So like, I just watched it over and over and Wayne Carlton in that video was like talking about, you know, staying out all day. Cause you might hear bugles you never heard before, or, you know, locate out. You didn't even know we're there. And I don't know how many times that's been true, but you know, just sitting out there. Oh, Hey, apparently there's elk right there. <laughs> well, I, I think the old, I think the old thing, you know, you know, it, it's hard to kill something from camp, you know, you know, couldn't couldn't be truer you know i mean yeah i mean there's there's a few instances somebody gets lucky but you know if if you're out there and you know like ben and i you know we're we're serious enough you know that we want to you know and we're going to do what it takes you know i think one of the most miserable days of ben and i's life was in wyoming um uh trying to trying to sit out the midday uh in a torrential blizzard slash rainstorm that there was there was no dry spot to be found whatsoever you know but it's like hey you know this is this is what it's going to take you know to you know to be on them you know when when the evening hits and um you know you're there i mean it's there's there's some agony that goes into it but you know i would say you know the more more times than not the more agony that you've got into it the more success that is likely to follow your way um you know, if, if you, if you want to, if you want to stay comfortable, if you want to keep from having, you know, sore muscles or, you know, you know, trying not to run on low sleep, you know, I mean, it, 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 it comes at a cost, you know, and it, I think when it comes to success. No, absolutely. That wasn't one of the worst days of my life. That was the worst day of my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> All right, well, let's hear it. What happened? Oh, shoot. Kyle and I, uh, we ended up. Kyle killed what two bulls in two weeks, two bulls in three weeks. No, it, well, it was actually three days separation of the two. I, I mean, I I hunted uh, a while for the for the one before I killed him, but <laughs> Kyle came and joined us in uh, in Wyoming over in in the western range of of trying to do a combo elk and deer hunt, and came over there and and uh smoked an elk like the first couple of days and so we were out going after some deer and oh my god what was i don't even know what that was we were doing a uh hike for the morning up to the top 2600 vertical feet every morning oh. and that was the that was the stupidest decision we ever made <laughs> and <laughs> yeah we had to start at like four and then we'd get up there at like 6 30 and we'd still be behind and that was the mistake we made is we rented one of those stupid cabins and and that was the the draw coming back to comfort you know getting out of your wet clothes and going down to a cabin every night was yeah was uh was too lucrative an option and in hindsight we should have just camped up at the top but we ended up in uh i don't even know 20 some degrees 30 degrees and and just pouring rain for it rained for seven and a half eight hours straight <laughs> and there was just no no dry spot left and kyle and i were just huddled underneath a freaking tree just in a little tiny piece of dry earth the only one on the whole mountain just trying to stay warm and i remember crawling inside my i was inside my pack rain cover <laughs> <laughs> curled up into a fetal position in that like 
this just absolutely sucks. Just waiting for some deer to get out of bed. But anyway, that was, that was pretty miserable. Did it pan out? <laughs> but that's what you said. can't, can't kill a, can't kill a deer for, or kill an elk from camp. So. Hey, well, it's also true that you can't kill one from the pickup if you're out hiking around in the woods. It's just a fact though. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I am, I am no stranger to road hunting. And I think the, the number one, key to all of our success and summary of all this is just versatility. So don't ever uh, yeah. be too proud to, to, uh, to do whatever's going to make you the most successful in each situation, whether it's road hunting, whether it's blind hunting, whether it's calling, whether it's bow hunting, rifle hunting, whatever, you know, yeah. be adaptable and be able to be versatile. But Well, I know you guys, uh, I don't want to take up too much time. We, we're going to have to do this again. Cause it's like time flew by on me this, but man, awesome, awesome stuff for, from you guys. Uh, yeah. Thank you guys so much. Uh, where can guys check out a couple of pictures of your 2017 year? Pretty epic year. Um, on, on my page, on my pages, we've got a lot of stuff, uh, scrolled back. I know, you know, MJ that the bull Kyle killed, um, and just to give like a quick backstory on that, Kyle and I have been hunting together for, you know, six, seven, eight years and, and just have been on the struggle bus for so long. We have fought the worst situations, have had some piss poor luck and on all over the counter general tags. 2017, um, I guess the stars kind of aligned. Kyle ended up with, with a bomber Utah tag, um, tag of a lifetime. I ended up with a Wyoming tag of a lifetime. So for the first time ever, you know, we didn't hunt together. We kind of split apart. And uh, what was just incredible with with all of that is, you know, September, was it September 6th, Kyle? Of yep. 2017. So Kyle's hunting in, in uh, Utah, um, 19 plus days on, on the bull they call MJ. I mean, that thing's world famous and and both of us coming off of just years of frustrating elk hunts or <laughs> successful elk hunts, you know, killing some small bulls, but they were still fun. Just trying to to figure out something that's trophy quality. And I was in Wyoming at the same time, and on both of us unknowing to it, on September 6th, we both killed the bulls of a lifetime and, and got to finally get back to cell phone service. And I called Kyle on the 7th. And uh, was just like, oh my god, you're never gonna believe what just happened. And Kyle's like, you're never gonna believe what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember you posting something about that. That's crazy. You guys ended up killing on the same day. It is. It was the same day. Um, I don't know how the whole thing worked out. I mean, it sounds made up, but it's it's not. I mean, the amount of struggle that we put into that is what made it so special. But I think um, Kyle, what is uh, MJ's end up ranked at number what in Utah? I think he's number five. I think just a toad. Yeah, so after killing just just dinks for years or having limited success, Kyle killed the number <laughs> five five in Utah, and I killed the number seven in Wyoming for typical on the same day. And then we both got to have that phone conversation, which we should have recorded that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I would love to hear that conversation. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. You don't understand. No, you don't understand what just happened. No, it was. It was pretty epic. It was, uh, it was, uh, the accumulation of just a bunch of years of, of just grinding it out. And, and, but, but 2018 was no slouch either. I mean, still put yeah, it on. Yeah. We, <laughs> yeah. We had a good year in 2018. We dropped a, a hammer of a, of a Montana bull, which was, which was just 
way that whole thing went down is just unbelievable. But um, yeah, we've got some had some good stuff going, and just keeping the m- momentum going for the next couple of years would be good. I was, but, I was gonna say, does it feel like there's some pressure on your shoulders now to like put some big bulls down? Um, I don't know. It all depends on tags. Like I always <laughs> joke to people, like you're <laughs> you're your only uh, you're your only limitation except for draw limits. You know, you can have a shit year. <laughs> you end up with general tags again but that just means you're gonna have to work that much harder and and maybe sideline some of your other plans and uh like you said the evolution of a hunter what you're satisfied with or what you want to come out of a hunt with but i'll have no problem drawing a general tag this year and and going and and god willing trying to find a you know something with six points on each side but we've been fortunate with, with with both draw results to make it happen um we drew an incredible montana tag for the second year in a row that statistically we shouldn't have picked up just picked it up on the random with no points that was cool and and got to drop a big bull over there which was epic but um yeah back to the if you want to see any of the pictures of that stuff we've got them posted all over our social media stuff um shednecks and 307 horn hunters my page and kyle can chime in on his stuff but sure yeah no i I'm, i'm not just real active <laughs> on, <laughs> on uh, social media, but uh, yeah, you can find me. It's just just my name, Kyle. I think it's underscore uh, Ostrand. Um, and uh, yeah, I got a few pictures. Heck, Ben's probably got more pictures of 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 my kills than I than I do. I would guess. But uh, <laughs> just just Google MJ Elk on on Google on the oh. internet machine, and you'll yeah you turn on the internet machine dude that picture of kyle going through the trees with ryan and like you're trying to like steer those horns those horns are so ridiculously big just like puts in perspective how big a 400 inch bull is like it's insane how wide was that thing kyle 53 inside and uh yeah it it, i i I found out exactly what 53 inches inside feels like running through the trees because that was yeah. it. It was a challenge to say the least. You know, it's probably one that, um, you know, if if you want some some entertainment, if you, I guess, go find that one on my page. That one, <laughs> that one will give you a chuckle. That's for sure. Do you imagine trying to like if you were that elk, like you're MJ trying to get through the tree? It's amazing to me that those big bulls can just maneuver through the trees like they do. It's it's hard to believe, honestly. You know, especially in 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 tight tight trees. I mean, there's. There's times that I've joked joked around saying, "Oh, it sounds like a you know freight train going through the trees, you know, yeah. sideways, you know." And, and it, I mean, they are. I mean, when they go through and, and those big bulls, you know, they they tip them back and they just whatever's in their way, they they go. And yeah. I, it it's hard to believe, you know, <laughs> dragging that kind of hardware through the trees, especially when you've got a wingspan hanging out there, you know, pushing sixty inches, you know, outside to outside. What what went through your head, Kyle, when you saw that bull for the first time? Um, you know, I guess trying to trying to keep it kind of quick, but like the first time that I saw him in person, you know, I, I'd seen hundreds of trail cam pictures, you know, that, that Ryan had of him. But um, first time I saw him, I actually walked in on him in the dark. He's laying in the trail, and uh, <laughs> I walked in at I don't know, I would guess eight to ten yards, you know, and I, I watched him stand up out of his bed at eight yards standing in my hand headlamp and it was I, you know and in fact I, I told Ryan um I said when I I, I had a, a very <laughs> I had a very moral um uh ethical 
deliberation in the dark <laughs> in Utah that morning. And yeah. I do I have I ultimately <laughs> Yeah, it was the the the, the processor was running at uh, record speeds um for those moments that we that we stared at each other in the dark. Um, you know, I, I had my had my bow and my hand arrows, you know, I, I had I had everything there. You know, and I and I was thinking about like, you know, how how can I do this? You know, I'm whatever. I'm, you know, moments away from daylight. You know, it's pretty easy to justify it to yourself. And oh, yeah. but ultimately, what what I, uh, you know, was like, you know what I, I just, I had a similar situation with a whitetail when I was younger. That um, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to see this thing on the on the wall for the rest of my life, and. I'll forever have to tell everybody the story on how I killed this thing. And, and it's going to be a lie. Yeah. And, and that was kind of like the deal breaker for me. Like I, I'm going to, every time somebody wants, Oh, tell me the story about that bull, you know, that 400 inch bull, because yeah. to be, to be honest, you know, that morning that I first laid eyes on him, um, he was 11 inches bigger than when I killed him after he'd broke, broken off, you know, a lot of his, a lot of his points. You know, oh, wow. I don't, I don't know for sure but I think that would have been the new Utah state record, you know, when I, when I saw him before he was busted up. And so, I mean, that, you know, it was a very, <laughs> very tough situation, you know, <laughs> to decide what to do, but that ultimately that was what did it for me. It's like, you know what? I, I, I would not be able to just live with myself having to tell everybody how I, you know, I killed this thing, but to, to get back to what you, you know, yeah, I guess your question on what it was like, but when when I decided, okay, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and throw an arrow in the dark at this thing. <laughs> I I'm gonna I'm gonna you know watch where he goes. I'm gonna back out of here and hope that I haven't just completely screwed this you know this hunt up. I watched that thing walk away into the dark, you know, in the in my headlamp, tipping his head side to side, you know, weaving it between trees, and I and from that moment on, I I told Ryan, um, you know, because I, I was I was essentially hunting alone down there. Most of my communication with Ryan was by phone. And I said, uh, I said, if, if I got to eat this tag, I said, what I experienced this morning was the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, to watch a, watch a 420 plus inch bull, you know, walk away from me, just tipping your head side to side. And I said, I am, I'm okay eating this tag. If that's what it takes in order to, to try and get an opportunity, you know, yeah. at, getting an arrow in him. And it was, I mean, it was, I mean, not everybody, you know, you can, you can do a lot of, hunt a lot of days in your life and never get a chance to see a, a 400 inch bull, let alone a, you know, 400, 420 plus, you know, and to see him at eight yards. Um, and that was, that was enough for me that, you know, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm sold, I'm all in and I'll, I'll ride this thing out to the last day. I need to. <laughs> Dude, what a crazy story. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine. Like that's I don't I I def, definitely could not have hunted any other elk. I'd have been like it's that elk or, you know, I eat this tag <laughs> on the last day at the last light, like it's done. Oh man, such yeah. cool stories. Well, I know I don't want to take up too much of you guys' time, but thank you guys so much. We're going to have to do this again. Like that was just uh blew by on me, but thank you, thank you so much. Awesome story, guys. Congrats. And uh, best of luck this year. I expect similar results as 2017. 
Alrighty, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Elk Hunt Podcast. If you love elk hunting content, tips and tactics, all that jazz, then go leave this podcast a review wherever you listen to podcasts at. Much appreciated. And if you're interested, go check out our Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a great resource, and it's going to make you a better hunter. I guarantee that, or we'll refund your money. Uh, If you don't get anything out of it, if you don't get $30 out of it, then we'll definitely refund your money. So go check it out. Link in the show notes.